Well, good morning. Morning. Hey, uh, my name's Mark Porter. If I haven't met you, I'm the executive pastor here at Live Oak, and we are thrilled that you're with us for this Jonah series. Um, as Doug mentioned, uh, I love Jonah too. It's a great book. It is uh, only four chapters long. I encourage you to read it during this series. Um, it's really just 48 verses, really short chapters, and uh, the ending is really great. So I don't want to ruin it for you. But anyway, um, we're going to be in this book for the next four weeks, and I'm really excited to uh, get to kick it off this week. And um, basically, kind of our tagline here is that uh, Jonah asked God, you want me to do what? Like, Jonah was asked something from God that he did not want to do. And I think we would all be lying if we said, oh, that's never happened to me. Right? Like, we've all been asked something to do something that we didn't want to do. Yesterday, I invited my son to clean out the garage with me. I'm pretty sure he didn't want to do that. Right? And we've been... uh, told to do something that we didn't want to do by our spouse, by a teacher, by a coach, by a boss, uh, by a doctor, right, by a counselor, whatever it is that we didn't want to do. Maybe it was take out the trash, finish your homework, turn it in on time, do more reps, lose weight, you know, whatever. But we didn't want to do it. That's what happens to Jonah. And to be honest, I think for a lot of us, we've sensed God telling us to do stuff that we didn't want to do either. He's done it through a pastor like me, through his word, through a situation. So we're really not that different than Jonah. And what we want to do is wrestle with a couple questions today. And here they are. Where is God asking me to go? And what is God asking me to do where I might be tempted to go the other way? Because that's what Jonah does. Jonah goes the other way when God asks him to do something that he did not want to do and go to a place that he did not want to go. Just a little bit of background about Jonah. He was a follower of God, the one true God. He was actually had a pretty uh, kind of, uh, I guess, authoritative position. He was a prophet. Here's a picture of him. It's not a real picture. It's just, a, you know, okay. But um, so he was a mouthpiece of God. He was called a Uh, to basically share the truth of God to the people of Israel. And then he was called uh, to other places, like we're going to find out he's called to this place called Nineveh. And um, so some people have said he's a bad prophet. And I don't think he was a bad prophet at all. I think he was a lot like many of us. Uh, He was reluctant prophet. And many of us are reluctant in following God sometimes too, if we're perfectly honest. Jonah is spoke of in the book of Jonah. He spoke of in 2 Kings. And Jesus refers to Jonah. It's captured in uh, both Luke and Matthew. We'll talk about that more later. And he was the other player in the book of Jonah are the Ninevites. And some of you have heard about them. That Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now the Assyrians were at their height of their power when uh, kind of Jonah is going to take the message to them. And the Assyrians were one of the blo- most bloodthirsty and cruel civilizations in history. In our day and time, we would call them terrorists, and they were proud of their cruelty. You can see this picture here where they've impaled some some folks on spikes. It says this, that this is just a little bit of what they would do in their 150-year kind of reign. They would pile up skulls of their victims outside their homes for decorations. 
They impaled conquered POWs on spears. They would remove the lips, noses, and ears of conquered people and wear them as badges. They would burn people alive, both men, women, and children. This is one of the most horrific things I've ever heard. They would cut off the eyelids of people, tie them to posts, and face them toward the sun so that it would blind them and their eyes would literally turn to raisins. They would dismember people while they were alive and shake their hands as they died. I mean, these were awful people. So if you're looking for a place to go for summer vacation, Nineveh is not where you want to go, right? And yet Jonah was called specifically to go to the Assyrians. No wonder he didn't want to go there. But what we're going to find out is that Jonah wasn't fleeing from the Ninevites. He wasn't fleeing from the Assyrians. He was fleeing from God. Look what it says in verse 1 and following. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So just to give you kind of an idea of where Jonah was running and what his intention was, I'm going to show you this map. The blue arrow is Jerusalem. Uh, Jonah was actually from a small town near there. And the red arrow up there is Nineveh. Uh, it's near modern-day Mosul in Iraq. It's about 500 miles. That's about from Lubbock to Galveston. Way over there in the green arrow is Tarshish. 2,500 miles away. Literally the edge of the known world. Like they didn't know North America existed out there in the Atlantic. It was, that was the ends of the earth, literally. So it would be like God saying to me or to you, hey, go to Galveston. And we say, no, I'm going to go to Alaska. The opposite direction. And today, many of us may not be fleeing physically, but we are running from God. We are running from his mercy, his forgiveness. We may be running from something he's calling us to do, something uncomfortable in our heart, something vocationally, relationally, financially, sexually, to surrender to his leading in our lives. And we are going in the opposite direction. So I want to ask you again, where does God want you to go today? And maybe it's not geography. Maybe it is. But where does he want you to go in the geography of your heart? What does he want you to do? What does he want you to give up? Where does he want you to trust him more and take a step to follow him and to turn around? What are you ignoring? What are you avoiding? What are you afraid of? To give up, to let go of, or to trust God with. Because here's the thing. God's word is just as clear to us as it was to Jonah. God's word to us is just as clear as it was to Jonah. God has a calling on our lives. He calls us to follow him, to go, to serve, to love, to forgive, to share. To share our hope, to share mercy and hope and his good news. He calls us to share our resources and to serve and to invite and all those things. 
to forgive. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, the same God that said, Go, Jonah, to the great city of Nineveh. Action. Take a step. Go. Yeah, Jonah, he went, right? He didn't rise and go toward Nineveh. He rose and fled. It's the same God here. To go. See, an action-oriented God asks us to take steps of faith, and he promises to go with us. And God doesn't ask us to go because he can't handle it. And he doesn't ask us to go because then he'd love us. He loves us, right? You have all of his attention. You have all of his affection. You have all of his love. But he asks us to take steps to follow him because his plan A is still using people like you and me and Jonah to reach other people with his mercy, forgiveness, and truth. And here's what I really believe. I didn't put this on a slide, but I think it's so true. The reason God asks us to do hard things, uncomfortable things, to give, to serve, to invite, to give up something, to change our heart, to forgive somebody, to share, is because it transforms us. It changes us more and more into his likeness because we have to trust him. And I know this is true in my life. There is no transformation without participation. There is no transformation without participation. We've got to take a step of faith and trust. We've got to write the check. We've got to say we're sorry. We've got to seek his mercy. We've got to be obedient. I know we don't like that word. He is our forgiver, but he's also our leader. Do we trust him enough to lead? Our Lord and Savior. There's a great quote by D.L. Moody. He said, you know, uh, Romans 12 talks about us being a living sacrifice, being transformed. D.L. Moody said, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar, right? And that's where many of us are. We're like Jonah. We're like, I'm out, you know, like, I'm going to do hard things, but not too hard, right? I'll give up a little bit. But we run too, just like Jonah. Jonah ran away from the Lord. He fled in the opposite direction. Look at it again, Romans, I mean, not Romans, Jonah 1. Jonah ran away, not from the Ninevites. He fled from the Lord. And I think we flee too. We flee from his forgiveness, his mercy. God couldn't love me that much. He doesn't know what I've done. That's a lie. And then I think we flee from his purposes. We flee from participation. Or maybe we don't flee completely, but we negotiate our participation, right? We negotiate a little bit. Maybe you're running today. Maybe you're trying to hide from the things of God. The fact that you're here this morning is a miracle in itself. And I've got good news, bad news for you. So let's look at uh, verse 4 first. We'll talk about the good news, bad news. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. 
The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God, little G. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. Like, hey man, this is rough right now. Like, we're going to die. Would you help us out? And Jonah's apathetic. He's hiding. He's fleeing. Here's the good news, bad news. God's pursuing you. God is pursuing you relentlessly through his word, through a storm, through the questions of others like the sailors, through relationships, through the voice of his spirit, through providential circumstances. Look what Psalm 139 says about his pursuit of us, of you. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for the darkness is as light to you. Some of you guys feel like you're in too dark a place for God to reach you, and that is a lie. He is pursuing you relentlessly. He is after you. Here's the good news, bad news. God is pursuing you to draw you to himself. And when we flee, we rebel, we go in the opposite direction. When we negotiate our participation, he pursues. Not to get us, but because he loves us. He wants us to be with him. And he is unrelenting. He will never Give up on you. No matter where you've been, what you've done, or where you're going today. Look what happens next. Verse 7 says this. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked them, asked him, sorry, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And then he answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. What have you done? It's probably an understatement, right? I think this is good news. What we can learn from this is that, that Jonah kind of comes and like acknowledges who he is and whose he is. I'm a Hebrew, right? I serve the one true Lord, is what he says. For some of you, that's where you need to be today. You're still God. He's still after you. You were made in his image. And he loves you. The men were terrified. They were scared and they asked, what have you done? This is literally translates, if you literally translate it from the Hebrew, it's, are you crazy? Like you brought the God of the sea and the land, the one true God on us? And here's the word that's true to Jonah and true to us. That we don't make decisions in a vacuum. That our decisions have ripples. They have ramifications. They affect people around us. They affect us financially. They affect our our physical health. Both good and bad, right? Our decisions 
make ripples for generations. Some of us are being affected even today by decisions made decades ago by somebody else. And the same is true for us. We don't make decisions in a vacuum. Our decisions have ripples. And in Jonah's case, his decisions jeopardized the lives of these innocent men that Basically, here's the thing. Our disobedience can affect everybody in the boat. But so can our obedience. That our rebellion has ramifications that has ripple effects. And I know this is true in my life. I, can, I mean, I don't have to look very far back to see that to be true. Like probably yesterday, right? Our disobedience can affect everybody in the boat. We don't live in a vacuum. The good news is, is that they can also have positive ramifications when we trust God and follow him. Look what happens in verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me in, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is, say this with me, this is my fault. That it, this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. My fault. Some of your translations may say, on my account. It's on my ledger. This is a debit on my account. This is on my report. This is on my record. Jonah essentially confesses. And for some of us, that may be where we need to be today, just to kind of get to the end of ourselves and say, it's my fault. Not to beat yourself up, but just to own it. Because if you see the progression for Jonah, he, go, he flees, he hides, he's down below, he's apathetic, right? He doesn't really care about what's happening. And then all of a sudden he's like, okay, I'm a Hebrew. I, you know, I serve the one true Lord. He identifies his maker. And now he's confessing. This is my fault. Look what happens next. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable. All of a sudden, they're calling on the Lord with a capital L. Like, they, we got some converts on the ship, right? Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Like, we didn't do this. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And this, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Let's talk about the men and then we'll talk about Jonah. These sailors who were pagans, atheists, basically, converted. They recognized that there was something supernatural about this storm. Consider these sailors. They were experienced mariners. They had sailed this route many times. And yet this storm... They'd experienced swells. They'd experienced spray. They'd experienced rain. They'd experienced, something was different about the storm. And when Jonah acknowledged, hey, it's the God of the sea and the land, they were terrified. They were scared. But this word where it says they feared the Lord is not a scared fear. It's the same word that's used in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It's being in awe. It's recognizing that there, there's a power, there's an authority, there's a creator that's bigger and greater than me. And being in awe of that. 
and reverence, not scared. Now, there's two schools of thought on what happened with Jonah here. That he was One school of thought says that he was ashamed and he was just hoping to die. That's why he said, throw me overboard. That maybe he could get out of that whole Nineveh thing. But there's another school of thought that says that no, that at this point Jonah had confessed. He'd acknowledged who he was and who he belonged to, that he had confessed. He was repentant, which means to turn around. And he had surrendered to God. And I tend to be in that school of thought because of the way that God responded to him. See, the sea grew calm and then God comes and saves him and redirects him and delivers him to fulfill his mission. See, basically the thing with Jonah and is true for us too is that surrender comes before salvation. That surrender comes before salvation. Maybe another way to say it is that repentance comes before rescue. And for some of you, this, you may be kicking the tires of faith. That's what we talk about as Jesus followers, that we need to surrender our lives, that we need to acknowledge that we fall short of God's glory, that we are sinners, that we need saving, that we want Jesus to be our forgiver and our leader. But if you're a Christ follower this morning, what I would argue is that God wants us to constantly surrender more and more to him, to trust him to release, because what we tend to do is like, hey, I've got fire insurance, but we hold on to our agenda, to our appetites. And God's calling us to surrender, to stop running, to turn around, to surrender to his love, to his mercy, to his promises of a new life and new direction. And you know what? We think surrender is weakness, but it really takes courage. This kind of surrender takes courage and strength and fortitude to trust God in all areas of our life. Where is he asking you to go today? What's he asking you to do? C.S. Lewis says this about surrender. I just I love this quote. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. We're not needing improvement He is a rebel who must lay down his arms, laying down your arms, surrendering, saying we're sorry, realizing that we have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of our hole. This process of surrender, the movement full speed astern is what Christians call repentance. Now full speed astern for those of that that are nautically inclined the stern is the front of the boat. It means to turn 180 degrees. A stern is to go back like Jonah was going to go back to Nineveh. So what's God asking you to surrender this morning? What part of your life, agenda, what are you holding on to that, that you know he's calling, that he's put on your heart to release financially, relationally, extending forgiveness, taking a step of faith, sharing your faith, Crossing the line of faith. That's what gets us out of our hole. Surrender comes before salvation and it takes strength and courage. And God is waiting and he is pursuing. And then verse 17 is what most of us know about the story. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
the Hebrew's clear here. It was not a whale. I know we've all seen Pinocchio, but it was not a whale, okay? It was a great fish. And God delivers him. We'll get the rest of the story in the coming weeks to his mission. He surrenders, he goes overboard, and he's saved. Now here's the problem with the fish. Or not the problem, but here's the question. Are you focused on the how or the why? Because we, we could stand up here and talk about the how, like for many of us, the litmus test of this story or, or this account and, and the Bible and Jesus and all that is, is stuff like this where we go, well, there's no way that could happen, so all the Bible's false. So we could stand up here and we could talk about, hey, there's sperm whales in the Mediterranean and there's great white sharks. So probably wouldn't have gone well for Jonah with that. But uh, we could talk about, hey, if it was a great fish, how big does the larynx have to be? And what about fresh water and food? And was it an evening and then a full day and then the morning? That's three days. What was it? But stop and ask yourself, why did God save Jonah? Why didn't he just send another prophet? Why didn't he just use somebody else? Because God cares about the individual. He cares about you. Yeah, he cares about all of us, but he cares about you. What was the purpose of the fish? I heard one pastor say it this way. The question of Jonah and the fish is really a question of Christology. It's about Christ. Because Christ refers to the sign of Jonah. This account of Jonah in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. And he believed it to be true. He references it as true and uses it as an example of his future resurrection. He believed in the miracle of Jonah and his deliverance. So really it comes down to what do you believe about Christ? Do you believe he is the image of the invisible God? God in the flesh, God with us. Because he believed in the miracle of Jonah and I tend to believe Jesus, so I'm going to believe the miracle of Jonah. But what was the purpose. Why? What purpose did it serve God to save Jonah? Here it is. God will go to any length to rescue you. Don't miss it. The miracle is not the big fish. The miracle is that there is a God, a creator of the universe, who created the universe down to the subatomic particles in your body, in this room in this world, and he wants to have an individual, deep, meaning, transformative relationship with you, the individual. That's the bigger miracle. And he will send a fish, a reluctant prophet like Jonah, to save the Ninevites. He will send his son on the cross to die and raise again. Don't miss the miracle. You are the miracle. What is harder to believe, that a man can live in a fish or that the God who created everything is inviting you, pleading with you, pursuing you with his mercy and grace? Maybe it's easier not to believe the first so we don't have to believe the second. That we could be loved that much and that deeply and pursued that grandly because that would change me, right? Like that would be overwhelming, that kind of love for me. God will go to any length to rescue you from drowning, from death, from your mission, from your purpose, from your identity. God is pursuing you. 
And Jonah rebels, he flees, he goes his own way. God pursues, he saves, he forgives, he redirects, and he uses him for his mission. And he wants to do the same in each of our lives. But he doesn't make Jonah surrender. He doesn't make me surrender. He doesn't force that, but he pursues. The big miracle is God's forgiveness and deliverance of a rebellious, self-absorbed prophet in Jonah that goes his own way. And the continuing miracle is God's forgiveness and deliverance of a rebellious and self-absorbed person like me and you. That's the miracle. But maybe we don't want to believe the intellectual because then we have, if we believed that the big fish could do it, then we have to acknowledge that there is a God and I'm not him and he is, does love me that much. And that's overwhelming. I'm going to have to change relationally, vocationally, financially. Here's the message, the double message of Jonah. God is pursuing you and God's mercy and forgiveness is for us. And then it's for us to share. And we'll see that in the coming weeks with Jonah. God's mercy and forgiveness is for us. And then to share that same mercy and forgiveness. An opportunity for new life with others. And we're just like Jonah, right? His argument is not unique. I don't want to do it. He runs away from his call. For most of us, we don't make our decisions based on God's call or God's best for our life. But you have a call on your life too. God says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's all of our calls. It plays out uniquely in our lives. But he may want you to love someone you don't like, to forgive someone that's hurt you, to give generously, to serve to give up our personal agendas and appetites and comforts. That's where the transformation happens. That's where the life that is truly life is found. To surrender more and more to him as we are transformed more and more into his likeness. So where's God asking you to go today? What is he asking you to do? What step of faith do you need to take? What are you avoiding? What are you running from? What are you ignoring? Where do you need help? Where do you invite somebody in? What do you need to surrender and give up? What do you need to let go of? Where are you in the story? The unbelievable theology of this story, of this account, is not the fish. The unbelievable theology is the mercy and grace and loving pursuit of God for all people, including you and me. Let's pray together. You guys stand with me. As you guys kind of bow, I just want you to ask yourselves, what does God want you to do today? Where might he want you to go? And then take a step. There's no transformation without participation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jonah, for the honesty of his story. God, you call us to take steps of faith, and they're not always easy steps. 
And yet when we trust you, we know that you provide life and life to the full. A life that we can't even imagine. Thank you for the love that is shown in Jonah's story, the love that you have for Jonah and for the Ninevites and for me and for each of us in this room, that your love is pursuing us unrelenting and you will go to any length to rescue us. Thank you for your son and his love and his sacrifice for us. We pray this in his name. And everybody said, amen. You guys are dismissed. If you would like to visit, I'll be down in the front. I'd love to chat with you.